Hello, and welcome to the Space Weather Facts and Forecast podcast. I'm Isaac Bregeman, amateur space weather enthusiast, and I'll be giving you the current space weather conditions, a forecast for the upcoming week, and telling you all about a fascinating space weather phenomenon. Stay tuned. Solar activity is somewhat quiet currently. There are only two numbered active regions on the sun now. However, more appear to be on the way. Helioseismic far-side maps have been showing the approach of a potentially large sunspot group, and it is now on the limb, about to be visible. There have also been some C flares and one M flare from presumably the same region. Hopefully it keeps up strength as it faces Earth. The X-ray flux background is in the C range, and it seems that that's mostly due to the new region. Certainly, it'll be worth keeping an eye on in the upcoming days. There was also one CME launched on Thursday that could impact Earth. It appeared to be fairly weak, however, NOAA is calling for KP5 G1 conditions on Sunday and Monday. For coronal holes, one small one, number 73, is just now facing Earth. While the high-speed stream from this one will not be super strong due to its small size, it could enhance geomagnetic activity Monday or Tuesday. As to the current geomagnetic conditions, we have a KP0. Yes, a zero is actually possible, with very weak solar wind data. The wind speed is under 300 kilometers a second, and the BZ is going back and forth between weak positive and weak negative. The hemispheric power is currently 23 gigawatts in the north and 21 in the south. Almost nothing happening, even at high latitudes. The forecast, as I mentioned earlier, is a little more hopeful, with a chance of a KP5 Sunday and Monday from a CME impact and possibly a coronal hole stream. Those at high latitudes should be alert for aurora, and at mid-latitudes, well, you'll have a chance if we get a strong CME impact. Thanks for listening to the forecast. Now it's time to talk about this week's featured space weather phenomena. The sun produces enormous amounts of light and heat. Life on Earth depends on the sun's energy to survive. How exactly does the sun burn, though? Is it a big ball of fire? That's the topic of this episode. Fire, as we know it, needs three things, namely fuel, heat, and oxygen. As the sun is primarily hydrogen, which is combustible, fuel is present, and heat certainly is. However, there is basically no oxygen in the sun or in space, and so the sun cannot burn in the conventional sense. Instead, the sun produces energy through nuclear fusion, and releases that energy as light and heat. Here on Earth, we're a little more familiar with nuclear fission. Nuclear fission is the splitting apart of heavy atomic nuclei, such as uranium, to produce energy and other byproducts. This is the process used in nuclear reactors to generate power. The sun, however, uses nuclear fusion, which involves the joining together of lighter atomic nuclei to produce heavier ones. Currently, scientists are trying to develop fusion as a clean energy source, but it is extremely hard, at least on a small scale, to make the reaction worth it and harvest more energy than it took to start it. The sun fuses hydrogen, the lightest element, into helium, the second lightest. This reaction is known as a proton-proton chain reaction. 
The first step in the reaction is for two hydrogen nuclei, which are simply single protons, to fuse together. One of them converts into a neutron by emitting a positron and an electron neutrino. And so the two protons become another hydrogen nucleus with an extra neutron. This heavy hydrogen is known as deuterium. Additionally, the positron annihilates with an electron to form a gamma ray, becoming part of the sun's energy output. In the next step, the deuterium nucleus, a proton and a neutron, combines with another proton to form a helium-3 nucleus, which is a light version of helium with only one neutron compared to the usual two and two protons. A gamma ray is also released at this step, which forms part of the sun's light output. The next step in the reaction is for two of these helium-3 nuclei to collide. Many, many of these reactions are going on at the same time in the sun, and so there are plenty of available helium-3 nuclei. These nuclei fuse into the more common helium-4, which contains two neutrons, and they produce two extra protons, which can be used to start the reaction all over again. There are more complicated paths that hydrogen can take to fuse into helium, and they do occasionally occur in the sun, but this is certainly the most common. This reaction generates energy in the form of heat, as well as gamma rays, which are high-energy light. Now this is all taking place in the core of the sun, where the pressure is extreme enough, about a hundred billion times standard pressure on Earth, to fuse atomic nuclei. For the sun to shine, the energy must make its way to the surface. Surprisingly, this is a long process. Specifically, one gamma ray that is produced in a nuclear reaction inside the sun can take anywhere from 20,000 to 100,000 years to reach the surface where it flies at the speed of light into space. Along the way, the gamma ray also changes into visible light or even infrared. Let me explain. Inside the sun, it is unimaginably hot and dense. I already mentioned the density, at least a hundred billion times standard pressure on Earth, and the temperature can reach 15 million degrees Celsius. It's 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. Because of the pressure, the particles making up the sun are packed extremely closely together. When a gamma-ray photon tries to exit the sun, it starts constantly bumping into particles. Each time it bumps into a particle, it changes direction and loses some energy. On the way out, it bumps into so many particles that, with all the direction changes, it takes many thousands of years for it to find its way out. Also, since it lost some energy with each bump, it emerges with a lot less energy than it started with. Gamma rays are the highest energy form of light, but by the time they get out of the sun, they have become visible light, which has less energy. Some lose even more energy and become infrared radiation. We can be glad of this since a barrage of gamma rays would kill all life on Earth and potentially vaporize the planet. The sun only has so much hydrogen in it that can be fused. Eventually, it will use up all of its hydrogen. In fact, it consumes about 600 million tons of hydrogen per second. This is the reason that the sun will eventually die. Once it uses up all its hydrogen, it will collapse and start to fuse heavier elements. However, the sun is only so big and massive, and as it fuses heavier and heavier elements, it will eventually stop being able to produce energy through fusion. 
Once this occurs, what will be left is a white dwarf and a planetary nebula. I talked more about the death of the sun in more detail in episode 13 on supernovas. You should go back and listen to that one if you haven't already. Thankfully, the sun is only halfway through its life and will continue to shine for around 5 billion years. We certainly don't have anything to worry about yet. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe and share it. Also, please consider leaving a review. It helps the podcast get found. New episodes are released on the third Saturday of the month on major podcast platforms. See you next time.